You know, I, I went through this this journey to try to find purpose. It, it started through being really frustrated at work and, and you know, and feeling this this sort of uh, disconnect between the work that I was doing and, and what felt really meaningful and purposeful. Even when I didn't know necessarily what my purpose in work was or purpose in life was, I, I just knew that that what I was doing just didn't fulfill me, I, you know, and I think sometimes that's like the best kind of uh, indicator that uh, that something is, is disconnected when, when you don't feel that sense of fulfillment, you don't feel that sense of energy and like all those other things. And, you know, for me, it was going through that with my purpose coach and friend and mentor, True Pettigrew, who helped me to try to figure out what that was in, in my life and, and realizing that my purpose is really um, which I'm really passionate about is, is feeding the good in the world and, and helping individuals do that and helping businesses, organizations do that. That's that's what I feel most alive. And what became really interesting and, and, and crazy to me was when I look back on my life, how much of the work that I had been doing lined up with that. Like I, I, I had always been drawn to that. It became really clear that like I had been on this journey without even knowing it. Welcome to Good Is The New Cool, The Field Recordings. My name is Afdal Aziz. What's up? And I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others find ways to use their talents and passions to create a better world. Today, Good Is The New Cool connects and serves a global movement of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good. We're also the co-founders of Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, and Oreo help create social impact. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In the book, we outline nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the new generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees. Throughout this series, you'll join us behind the scenes on a journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself. When it comes to purpose, the journey getting there is just as important as the destination. And it's not like the journey stops when you think you have reached the original goal. Purpose is a process of constant discovery and reevaluation. So although the journey may seem long, it's really where the best work gets done. In this episode, we wanted to explore just how important how we get to our purpose really is. In our book, Good is a New Cool, The Principles of Purpose, we talk about purpose being a journey, not a destination. And by that, we mean that it's something that you'll just continue to get clearer and clearer on as you go along. It's something that will guide you, is a direction, is sort of your North Star and your reason for being. Um, and it's something that you and your leadership team and your employees and your stakeholders will all be on together to understand the real reason why your company exists and the impact that you can make into the, in the world. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you think about it in the context of a company. First of all, don't be paralyzed by the lack of perfection. We say no company is perfect, just like no human being is perfect. There's always going to be something your company or brand could be doing better. Um, but it's important not to get paralyzed by that. Because as you'll see, there is no end point where a company stops doing good. There is always a higher level that it can get to. Um, think of sustainability. You know, in the beginning, people weren't even thinking about recycling. 
But that's now uh, table stakes for companies. How a company uses energy, how the company emits carbon. There's an ever-growing list of things that, that companies need to think about when it comes to just sustainability. Same goes for diversity and inclusivity as well. As the topic evolves, there is always uh, a next level and a next level and a next level. So keeping that in mind at the beginning of the journey that you take the company on is helpful in, in not getting um, disillusioned, in not getting frustrated, and understanding that there is uh, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from an organizational standpoint, you know, even, you know, when we work with, with companies and, and we work with brands, I mean, even the process to understanding and you're clear about what the purpose is, even from a statement standpoint, and it's, is in itself a journey. And as today's guest will show, it's okay to not know exactly where you're going when you begin that journey. Sometimes you'll seek out the answer and sometimes it will find you. For Kim Kimon, a 20-year career working in Barbie and Mattel was not what she had originally planned. So I studied interior design and textile design. And right after I got my second degree, which was in textile design from Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, my best friend and business partner and I started our own textile design studio. If, um, you know, we probably were too young to know <laughs> the difference in, in what we were embarking on, but we had, we had some success. And three years in, her name was Kai. Kai decided to go back to school to get her master's degree in architecture. And I said to myself, I need a real, in air quotes, real company on my resume. You know, I need to um, to have some uh, some validity at the time, I thought. And I took a temp job at Mattel, and I walked in here, and my mind was blown. When you go into the design center, it's incredible. It's like endless amounts of resources and the talent and the artistry that goes into every single thing that we do, it, it, it really blew my mind and I knew that this was where I wanted to be. And so then besides doing my job for those nine months, it became this, this uh, observational exercise of where could I fit into this place permanently? Like how do I find the spot that uh, suits me and where I could also suit the company. And so almost to the day of the end of my temp assignment, I was hired as a designer on, on Barbie. So the first time that the story of Kim and Barbie really crossed my radar was through a documentary film called Tiny Shoulders on Hulu, which I highly recommend you go and watch. It was this kind of unprecedented, behind-the-scenes, almost fly-on-the-wall documentary that they were able to do inside Mattel in real time as they started to think about reinventing this icon of Barbie. Um, and I watched it and I went, this is a story about purpose. This is a story about going back to Barbie's original purpose. And there's certainly this story about uh, Kim, who was heavily featured in the documentary, and how she found her purpose as well. And that was really, I mean, honestly, Barbie wasn't on my radar. I have a six-year-old son who is deeply disinterested in Barbies. But that was the first time as a brand uh, and as a story, it really resurfaced again. I first uh, was introduced to, to Kim when we were, uh, through, through Good as a New Cool, when we were uh, going to invite her to to speak at one of our events. And, and I you know, just had an opportunity to really get to, learn more about her story, just really just through the amazing work that uh, she and her team had been doing that had led to Barbie being featured as one of Time Magazine's uh, products or inventions of the year. And 
uh, you know, just just a fan of of someone um, who could help reimagine a brand that had such a deep entrenched place in society and, and in culture, and the idea of, of being able to reimagine that and actually find a, a new contemporary and meaningful and relevant way uh, for that brand uh, to show up. I, I just always thought it was just was really cool um, and 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 just bold and. Once I got to know Kim uh, over the past, you know, several months or what have you, uh, just hearing her story and her passion of how she's found Barbie to be a platform and a way of expressing her purpose through this work and how so much of what we see about what Barbie is today is really a reflection and a manifestation of her and her team and, and, and who they are and what they're passionate about. I just thought it was really, uh, just really powerful, really yeah. inspiring. After years being inspired and encouraged by the team and the work being done at Mattel, Kim was fortunate enough to be offered a job as head designer on Barbie. Although this was a dream job for Kim, it wasn't a simple yes or no answer. And so she began her hunt for purpose. Well, I think deep inside of me, I knew that it's something I always wanted. I also know that it's not the easiest job in the world. And, you know, while it's fantastic, realistically, there's a lot of pressure and a huge sense of responsibility that comes with that role. And having been here at that point for as long as I had, I'd watch that torch pass back and forth. And I, I really did soul searching around, am I the right person? And is it the right position for me? Part of that process for me was and at the time, I didn't know this, but I went on sort of a purpose hunt of, if me, then why am I choosing to do this? Not for the title or the money or the perceived power or just to move up in the organization, but what was calling me on a deeper level to do you know, with, this, with this position. And what showed up for me, and was simultaneously, I believe, showing up for a lot of my peers and partners on the brand is, you know, I would walk into parties with my uh, collective group of friends, and you know, I, there maybe there's strangers in the room, and they'd ask me what I do for a living, and they know who I am as a person. And when I would say, you know, I work on Barbie, sometimes you get that sort of sideways face, you know, or a, a little like, really, like Barbie. The doll that's, you know, too skinny or whatever other stuff that people would attribute to the brand. And I was frankly tired of it. I knew a different experience of the brand. I knew the purpose behind it. And I thought, you know what, besides being sort of frustrated by that, how can we turn it inward? And how can I take that as inspiration for me to ask some tough questions about what we're doing on the brand? You know, and could we view things differently and maybe there's a tweak that would allow them to experience us or understand what I know the true benefit of the brand is. So it really lit me up and I said yes to the position and there we went. So this question, if me, then why? I think it's an excellent question to ask yourself, right? Along your journey, um, when somebody offers you an opportunity or a challenge, I think it's about thinking about why you individualistically may be the perfect person for it. This speaks to this kind of almost mystical connection between organizational purpose and personal purpose. Sometimes somebody comes along who is the right place in the right time, and Kim was the right place at the right time. 
And it was this incredibly serendipitous thing where the person entrusted with the future of Barbie was somebody who loved Barbie growing up, uh, was somebody who uh, was sick of being criticized for working on Barbie, you know, and I think she took that as fuel and fire to say, well, my purpose is to reinvent the future of Barbie, to make it this inclusive icon that I think it can be. And, and that's one of the, the many things you realize uh, as, you, as we look at the journeys of all these people that we feature in the book. At a certain point, they, they came to a crossroads and they chose to take a jump, make a leap, even if they didn't know exactly where they were going to land, because something deep inside them told them, this is why you're here on this planet. You're meant to do this work. Um, even if it only becomes, you know, clear in hindsight. I've been there, you know, I've, I've been in those rooms with people, you know, you sit around, you, you're talking about what you're doing and people ask what you're working on. And I'm talking about the soda that I'm helping to sell <laughs> or the beer that I'm marketing. You know, people look at you like, can't believe you're, you're, you're working with those companies that are trying to get young people to drink more sodas. We should be getting people, you know, like mm. I, I've been in those situations where, the work that you do or the company that you work for, the brand that you're a part of is is not viewed as being healthy or helpful or useful to society. And it's, it's not a good feeling to to feel like you're part of the problem. And, and so when Kim was telling that story, I really, I felt that moment. And, and I know what it's like to to want to channel that and, and flip the narrative and flip the script and say, we're going to do something that is going to make a positive impact and it's going to make me proud to work on this and make other people proud to work on this. And sometimes it starts with just a moment of feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, as we explored in episode one of this podcast, adversity is part of that journey as well, right? There isn't a, uh, a single company or person on the planet who hasn't faced some sort of adversity on that journey. The important thing is what they learn from it as well. You know, I think about Nike and the sweatshop scandals that plagued it and how much that disrupted the brand and how much it forced the brand to go on a journey to get really, really much better to the point where it's probably held up in terms of world-class, how ethical uh, and, you know, stakeholder-focused Nike supply chain is. So that growth comes from that adversity as well. Simultaneous to, you know, the, the personal journey that I was going on within other functions of our team, marketing, research, a lot of analysis was going on. And all of our analysis really starts with the consumer, kids and parents. And what we heard back from us when we would ask them to talk to us about their opinions on the Barton brand wasn't what our intention was or what we had hoped to hear. So vapid, pink, not good for my kid. Barbie's small and so petite. Her clothes and figure look so neat. Her dancing. Meanwhile, Barbie's still doing extraordinarily well. Not as well as she used to. It, you know, the numbers are out in the public. It's downtrending. We get that. But it doesn't make the design function without responsibility and shifting that. And I really, that's really how I viewed it. You know, as head of design, how can we produce product that supports the clearing of old notions about the brand? But how do we take what the consumers are saying and and then present back something to them that's reflective of what they're hoping to see us do? We are the people that are leading the next chapter of this amazing brand. What do we want our legacy to be? And what do we want out of the sense of responsibility to children and parents 
What do we want to deliver in the world? I'll make believe that I am you. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. And so it was time for Kim and Barbie to take a step back and see how they had become lost in their journey and what exactly it would take to get back on track. First thing I did is realize that I don't have the answers. I have pictures in my mind of what the solutions may be to the challenges that we face, but those were not mine to create. My job is to set the vision and then to create a landscape where the amazing designers that are on the brand can build on that vision and bring to life the things that they want to. So it was very simple. I gave them a side project separate from all the work that you need to do to keep the the product line moving forward because we're thinking future and present at the same time. And part of their future thinking was if you could do anything you wanted to do with Barbie today, if you were launching this brand today, what would you have this brand look like? The only thing that I asked of them was that we isolate it to the iconic image of Barbie first, because we at this point knew we wanted ethnic diversity to increase. We were looking at, at body image, all of those sorts of things. And so how, what would you have her look like? What would you have her doing? And by the way, I was like, I, it doesn't matter. Truly, true freedom. Meaning if you want to make it a fantasy character that's completely stylized, if you only want her to live in uh, you know, a land of castles, you know, what would you have her do and be? If you were Ruth, what would you have this doll look like? So the Ruth Kim is referring to here is Ruth Handler, the founder of Mattel and inventor of the Barbie doll. After watching her young daughter Barbara, hence the name, play with paper dolls and noticing the many discrepancies between boys and girls toys back then, it became Ruth's mission to nurture and inspire the limitless potential in every girl, which is the purpose statement of Barbie. Girl, by the way, is hotly debated on our team. As long as girls are underserved in this world, there is a reason for us to to put a very fine point on that positioning. Boys, everyone is welcome in the Barbies in Barbie's world. While Barbie is a gendered character, it is a gender inclusive play for sure. Now, the word in that phrase that Kim's team could really define in the 21st century is every girl, not just the ones that look like Barbie. Opening this up meant that all of a sudden, the world of Barbie was limitless. And we also really believe that for kids to see themselves reflected in the toys that they play with is very powerful. And it's essential to emotional connection. And it's important that they are able to find themselves in the toys that they play with, especially in doll play. Doll play and Barbie play, that's storytelling. Like, that's the beauty. And for a little person at that age, they don't have a lot of agency in their life. And with dolls, they are the directors of their own stories. They decide who the characters are. They can work out some deep stuff or just have a really great time. But dolls are a really ancient and intimate plaything that, you know, it's important to have in the lives of girls, but I'll argue of, of all people, you know, of all kids, that doll play isn't a gendered uh, benefit. And the kids that we serve deserve to see themselves in the toys that they play with. You know, thinking back 
toys were just such an important part of my childhood. We had the whole G.I. Joe collections. We had the Transformer collections. They had this show. I don't know if they, I don't know if they, they had this in Sri Lanka called the A-Team. Did you ever oh, see yeah. that show? Yeah, absolutely. Man, I had the A-Team lunchbox. I had the A-Team action figure. Er- everything Mr. T. <laughs> you know, he was one of the few, like, people that looked like me that, right. were just, that, was, that could just, like, go in and just, like, kick everybody's ass. And I was just like, Mr. T was like the baddest, the baddest dude in the world. And I remember I had the opportunity to meet him. Really? And it Whoa, was just stop, like, hold on. You met Mr. T. This is I met Mr. T. They they had this um, they were filming this this movie. I think it was called DC Cab, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. And Mr. T was the star in it. And they were filming it on Florida Avenue in, in DC, not that far from where I was growing up. And my and my father brought me down to the set. And I remember it was like all these actors, and I remember I met Mr. T, man. And he was like, you know, he had the mohawk, the feathers, he had all these the jewelry, the gold chains. The, he just looked like a superhero. He was just like the cut off sleeves and the muscles. He was like, "What's your name, son?" And I said, "I said my name was Bobby." He said, "Once you stay in school, say no to drugs." And, and he was just giving me like all these like life lessons. In like thirty seconds, he gave me like ten life lessons, and I was looking at, I was just like, "Yes, yes. I said, yes. yep." Say so I, I will study hard. I will say no to drugs. <laughs> I don't want to be one of the fools that you pity. <laughs> and I mean to have that moment and to like see him on TV to have that moment and then like to be able to play with like this figure. I was. Mm. I mean, it was just like. I mean, it was just like a, having a superhero in my pocket, mm. man. Just it's like going to go to school. So it's it's. Yeah, man. Those moments with the toys and all those things, man. They they really they they really are so. Um, impactful, man. It leaves such an imprint on your life. Mm. You know, you don't realize it necessarily until you get older. Even growing up, um, you know, the, the pushback against Barbie in terms of representation, there were there were a lot of parents, you know, 30 years ago who were uh, particularly Black parents and, and other communities of color who were, you know, looking for alternative dolls. I mean, there were, there were, there was a whole industry of multicultural dolls and toys that were being created specifically so, um, so black and brown children could have dolls that look like them. It was, it was really interesting to me how, in some ways, how long it took for Barbie to really understand that opportunity, but really that craving. Um, from so many communities. And I, and I think there's really no limit to the creativity that can come from an organization once once you tap into that. And that was really the starting point, right? That Barbie, after being such an icon in the 20th century, was no longer in step with culture, right? On multiple levels, you know, ranging from kind of promoting this completely, you know, ridiculous body type uh, and, and kind of uh, being responsible for reinforcing that stereotype around body image to the fact that it was blindingly white as a toy, you know, and yeah. and I think that's where you start to see the decline of the brand in terms of its sales as it was out of step with the zeitgeist. For a brand that was part of uh, Americana for so long, it was strange to see it not reflect America today in all of its rich, glorious diversity. The task of reinventing such an iconic character was going to be a journey in itself, and one that Kim described as... Exhilarating and complicated. 
those are the two words that I think I would attach to it uh, as I sit here today in retrospect. It was exhilarating. I mean, I think as a designer uh, and a product developer, you sort of, you get that feeling in your body when you know you're working on something that's exciting and that's going to get somewhere good because everything isn't a yes right away. When it's all the way a yes and it's super, super simple, it could be phenomenal. But when it's it's difficult and yet you still feel yourself wanting to drive to bring it into the world, that's that magic feeling that I get in myself that I know that this is something, it may take a long time to, to bring to life, but it's worth the effort. The beautiful thing about our journey of purpose is that it leaves us open to those serendipitous moments that truly help define our direction. For Kim, that moment started with getting a seat upgrade on a flight. I was flying to Cabo with some friends and I got upgraded and they didn't. So I was plopped in the seat next to a woman whose name I cannot remember, by the way. Gotta figure out who she is. And I sit down next to this woman and I think, oh, I don't really feel like talking right now. And then the next thing I knew, the plane had landed. And I thought at the time, oh my gosh, I'm gonna know this woman forever. Must have exchanged information, can't recall. And sometime later, months, it could be a year, I get this note on um, through LinkedIn that's like, hey, Kim, I remember chatting with you on the plane about all the great work that you guys are doing on Barbie. I really think you should know this person. And he is running an impact agency. And I think you should get to know him. And I got this email right when our marketing and communications team were talking about what Barbie's next step in social impact would be. And so it, this was not my world to oversee. So I sent it off to the woman who ran that group. And I said, hey, for what it's worth, don't know this woman that's sending it, don't know this guy, but maybe we should bring them in as part of the hunt. And we did, and Kirk and I met. And then over the years, um, built a deeper relationship. So Kirk that Kim mentioned is Kirk Souder, who is this incredible purpose coach uh, he runs a practice called uh, the Soul Purpose Practice. Uh, and in fact, he and Kim came along to our GoodCon event a few months ago to speak. You can check out the wonderful conversation they had online. Um, and, and his entire uh, approach is really about putting the authentic self in the driving seat. And with leaders like Kim, what he was able to do is to help her think through what she really felt passionate about and manifest it in the, the work that she went on to do. After we had launched the new bodies on Barbie and I was coming off of the high of that, you know, really looking at, at my life at the time about like, you know what, maybe that, that those changes on Barbie, maybe that was it for me in, in my corporate journey. And maybe I am supposed to go and do work for a nonprofit or start something on my own. And I think this is a very common crossroads that leaders have across all industries, but especially in uh, Fortune 500 highly functioning organizations. Nothing against Mattel. Mattel's an incredible place to work, but I was really wondering if it was time for me to move on. And it was really giving me a lot of unrest. I showed up in that workshop and I started to do some of the work around aligning my purpose with what's going on in the world, in particular with my company. And I'm telling you, it was within an hour or so starting that work that I was like, I'm exactly where I need to be. And it's not, it's not about the world and it's not about the company, it's about me.
So, you know, Bobby, when we speak to people who go on this journey to find purpose through their work, many times people get to this point where they think they have to quit their job in corporate life to go and find their purpose, right? And and we always say, please don't quit your job and go dig wells in the Sahara. You are way more useful right where you are with your talent and experience and network and resources and, you know, all of these things that you've built up um, to get to this point. Don't throw them out the window and then go and do something where all of those things go back to zero. And this was exactly the moment that Kim was in. She was literally thinking about, you know, leaving Mattel and going in and doing something more meaningful. And it's, it's one of those beautiful moments where the universe says, maybe there's a different way. And this is where Kim realized that actually she could use the resources of this gigantic multi-billion dollar company to fulfill her purpose. This is a, a very commonplace conversation that we have all the time. What happens if you smuggle purpose into your work? into your company? What happens when you bring it in, especially now in this new era of socially conscious consumers, of activist employees, of impact investors? This moment where people want companies to do good is exactly the right moment for people to awaken their purpose inside these companies. And that's that's what Kim did. She said, it's not about the work, it's about me. And by getting in alignment with her assignment, as our friend True likes to say, she found out not only that she was inspired, but she was able to help inspire others to find their purpose too. What I did for myself was realize that I didn't have to separate parts of my personality, whether that's you know social justice or or any of those things, um, from the work that I do. It, it can inspire. It can show up. It may not be the core work that I do, but it, but how do I advocate? So advocacy came up for me as something that lights me up every day. Whether it is um, helping a, a marginalized community be reflected in some of the work we do, that gets me excited. Whether it's finding that quiet person in the room who may not be sharing their idea and welcoming them to sit at the table versus on the sidelines, that gets me excited. None of these things will show up in my job description. But every day when I walk in the building, I try to remind myself to be brave enough to seek those things out. Because then I'll know, no matter how difficult the day is, I'll leave feeling happy, satisfied, and connected to my work. So then, how do I enable that to be true for everyone that works for me? How can I take on the responsibility to help my team find that beautiful intersection between who they authentically are and the work that we do here at Mattel, between the values that they hold and the values and mission of our company. And how can I create an environment where they can show up exactly as who they are and feel like it's a safe place for them to say anything, bring anything forward, because those moments and that alchemy between individuals on a team who feel like they can be themselves and that there is a safe place. They don't have to look like, act like, or think like everybody else around them. But we do have to know that everyone's ideas and authentic selves are welcomed in this space. And that, I believe, is the key to exponential growth, to doing good in the world, and to having healthy and highly functioning teams, especially in the pressures of a large corporation. So the moments of Kim's journey I relate to were really 
about feeling a sense of disillusionment in her corporate journey, which happens to the best of us. You know, I certainly had this moment where even though I got to work on super cool things, you know, Bobby, you and I have done everything from, you know, Kanye West pop-up concerts and secret warehouses in Brooklyn to, you know, Lady Gaga to Coachella and Tribeca. And, and even with all of that, the cool stopped being cool. And we were kind of in this point where there was something missing and we didn't know what it was. And I think that's what really resonated with Kim's journey as well. She got an incredible role that used all of her passions for design, but even she reached a a point where there there was something missing. And that's a wonderful journey um, that so many people are going on right now. And the, the moment that we get to see in terms of the workshops that we go and do inside these companies is this kind of light bulb moment where people realize they can bring their whole selves to work. They can bring the issues and causes that they care about and be true to who they are instead of leaving a part of themselves at the door when they walk into work. And as we've seen time and time again, that's a transformational moment. It's a ripple effect that you create inside a company uh, this ripple of purpose that leads to, in, you know, motivation, engagement, innovation, um, and and it all starts with hitting a wall or hitting a ceiling. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things I love about Kim's story is when she, you know, after she took the job and now she's in this leadership role, you know, one of the first things she realized and, and she said is that I don't have the answers. Um, but she did have this amazing team around and she did have the means to facilitate the team that did. And I think that from a, from a leadership standpoint, that's such an important lesson in that so often leaders and managers feel as though they have to walk into this room, particularly when it's a new role and they have to walk in with all the answers and they need to establish authority and they need to say, you know, this is how this is going to work and this is everyone's role and plan. And in reality, you know, purpose and really building teams and doing great work is much more collaborative and no one has all the answers. And I think by showing this really powerful thing, which, uh, you know, after you and I talk a lot about and, you know, we're all both big fans of Brene Brown and and talks about vulnerability, that Mm -hmm. is really a really amazing trait as a leader to have the vulnerability to say, I don't have all the answers and to be able to say, but I feel as though we as a collective and we as a team can figure this out together, but only if everyone is bringing their full selves to this work and to this room. And I think what, what Kim's story really showed is, is um, the power and the beauty and how transformative it is when you can bring your full self to work and actually show up to work as a full citizen. You know, another one of the principles we talk about all the time is purpose should be an open source pursuit. It is about collaboration. It is about opening up into uh, into bring everybody along. And by by showing her vulnerability as a leader, and by trusting her team to show up with their vulnerable selves, that was really where the magic started to happen in terms of of rethinking the the trajectory of this iconic iconic part of American culture. It really is about engaging the right set of stakeholders, those passionate hand raisers, as we call them, who are really also passionate about the idea of purpose. And then slowly it becomes a snowball where one becomes two, two becomes three, three becomes five and ten. And then it becomes a movement, you know, and and one of the things we always say, Bobby, is a movement isn't a movement until it moves without you. And what's fascinating to see is how this 
this tiny snowball that Kim and her team started doing has now just become like this juggernaut in terms of where Bobby has gone. There are now Bobbies in every size, shape, color, and profession. There are judge Barbies out there wearing Ruth Bader Ginsburg lace collars. Two days ago, Mattel released a Dr. Maya Angelou Barbie, which is incredible. Think about that. It's come such a long way and it just starts in this such with such, um, you know, a small, very delicate starting point. Um, But that is the, the power of purpose in a nutshell. So Bobby, there's also another layer to this, which is Mattel's corporate purpose. You know, in addition to Barbie, Mattel owns Fisher-Price, Hot Wheels, American Girl, Thomas & Friends. It owns these iconic toy brands. And in parallel to this, Mattel was also going through an exercise to discover its purpose as a company, which is articulated as to inspire wonder in the next generation to shape a brighter tomorrow. And it's really around this idea of play and locking potential through play. And that's where Barbie was quite rightly so, the first of their brands to really bring this to life. One of the most amazing outcomes of what Kim and her team were able to do was the cultural and business impact that it had on Mattel and Barbie as a whole. We have benefited from the last few years of some great, great years on Barbie. I do think that part of my passion around the shifts in particular on the body for the dolls was mapping culture. Part of my job as a designer is to connect the dots. And when you're talking about a mass brand, Barbie is reflective of culture. We can certainly lead, but for the majority of the time we're reflective and we can be left behind. And I remember feeling this buzz inside of me that's like, if we don't, now's the time, right? Now is the time to to make this happen. But we didn't know if it would be successful, if the world would receive it the way we intended it, if it would have impact. You have no idea. Things can always backfire. I've seen crazy things go down. Um, But it has been very successful for us. I mean, we are lucky enough now on the brand to be the most diverse and inclusive doll brand in the world. Um, That alone is a fantastic thing to get to say. Now, one thing that I personally was so excited to see was the doll they created of Muslim Olympic fencer, Ibtihaj Muhammad. Yes, I mean, Ibtihaj Muhammad is such an icon and such a hero of our time. I mean, there, of course, there were lots of conversations that we have and we go through deep analysis of any real person that we're going to include within the, the Barbie family. But there is no denying what uh, absolute inspiration she is to everyone. And it was an honor to have her be a part of our Shiro's line for so many reasons. You know, she's just, first of all, a, an amazing woman and has such accomplishments, but also because we knew another subset of, of people around the world would get to see themselves reflected and connected to the brand. She embodies everything we stand for as a brand, nurturing and inspiring the limitless potential in every girl. I mean, come on. You know, Bobby, one of the other principles in the book is purpose must be profitable to be sustainable. So Barbie, in before the reinvention, had dropped um, below being the billion-dollar brand it had historically been. And all the data shows that this reinvention of the brand has not only returned it to growth and profitability, it's now back up into being a billion-dollar-plus brand. It's also made it so much more culturally relevant. I don't think this would have happened had this kind of permission to reimagine 
been given and, and been done so brilliantly by Kim and the team. You know, too often diversity and inclusivity are almost treated in a very tokenistic way inside business. But we say inclusivity is the best growth strategy. Think about it. If the purpose of a business is to get as many people as possible to buy their products or services, then it only makes sense to design those products and services so that as many people as possible identify with them and find uh, a desirability to them. That's what we mean by inclusivity is the best growth strategy. By reflecting the world as it is, you invite it into your brand and franchise and oftentimes to great financial success. The dream continues to grow and evolve for Kim and the team at Mattel. And for future generations, this means a landscape of toys that represents them and their values more than ever before. So what, what we're looking at is Creatable World, and it is the first doll kit that is gender inclusive. So it allows all kids to see themselves in this product, um, and they can create characters that they want to create. So where Creative World came from is we did analysis and observation. So we spent a lot of time with kids just watching them play. And what we observed and what we heard, and what we heard specifically from kids, is they don't want rules and they don't want labels placed on how they play or what they play with. Parents are increasingly concerned about genderized toys as well. And so we started to ideate around that. And then we built some prototypes and we started to test. And when we started to get these dolls in particular in front of kids, it was incredible. Like it, it was so intuitive for them and they didn't need explanation and they sparked to it right away. It is a, a, a fashion doll, but it's a, a gender neutral body. And it's a kit that comes with about 14 accessories. So the kids can put together uh, of all of these elements and build a doll and then rebuild a doll again. So it's about six kits, different ethnicities and all different accessories and clothing to put together whatever expression they would like to and whatever character they would like to build. So when you put that in the hands of the kids, there's no explanation needed, which is what's so beautiful about it and why all welcome really did become a, a driving force. So it's creatable world, all welcome, because all are welcome to play. You know, and, and our intention with this is that it helps facilitate a broader conversation around doll play. We know from testing what the benefits of doll play are. Creativity, self-expression, storytelling. That is beneficial to all human beings. We would love for this product line to create a dialogue and hopefully broaden the world's understanding of what doll play is and who doll play is for. You know, reflecting back on how far toy culture has come, you know, one of the one of the ways I sum it up really simply is um, when you look at Spider-Man, right, who used to be um, a white man named Peter Parker. And today, one of the current incarnations of Spider-Man is a black kid in Brooklyn named Miles Morales. Whenever my son and I watch that, we go, oh, that's uh, Miles from Uncle Bobby's family because your son <laughs> is a black kid named Miles lives in Brooklyn. You know, how much more representative could you get than that? I mean, it, it is. I remember the first time I saw it, man, it was just, uh, it was it was my black. I mean, I was so excited for Miles to see it. You know, I, I think about this generation of, of young people 
who are seeing themselves in the, you know, the Spider-Mans and the, the you know, these, these creatable worlds. Like, it's just so powerful. And, and it's something else that Kim said that, that really stood out to me when she said that children don't have a lot of agency in their life. You know, so often mm. they eat what someone else tells them to eat. They go where other people tell them to go. You do what other people tell you to do. Like, they don't have a lot of spaces where they're the boss, except for when they play. And it's when you have these toys and when you have these things, you can create the world you want. It can look how you want. You can invite whoever you want in it. And when you're able to do that and create these worlds where all types of people live together and coexist, it gives me a lot of hope that they will create a real world that reflects those same things. Mm, You're absolutely right. By having characters who reflect real life, it allows them to build up empathy and allows them to build up um, the norm and and start to see the discrepancy when you see that, how it's different in the world out there. So, you know, Einstein said play is the highest form of research. And I think that's where if the tools going into the research aren't reflective of the world, then um, the outcome isn't going to be as powerful as you think it could be. Yeah, and at that point, it connects back to the work uh, of Kim and, and the work that she's doing, uh, her team is doing at Mattel and, and with Barbie, where you know they're, they're creating these toys that are really kind of the building blocks for an inclusive and equitable and representative world in, in a really powerful way. And, and I think that they're, they're, they're setting themselves up from a business and brand standpoint, I think for, for really great long-term success. Uh, and also hope that they're, they're setting the table for long-term change in the way that we see and, and, and respect each other in the society. Before wrapping up, I had one last question for Kim. Did she feel that she was finally living and manifesting her purpose the way she saw it? Yeah, I do. I do. I'll be honest, a full disclosure and vulnerability, I don't always feel like I am because I I can't necessarily see myself. When I look back on where my team is today, where I am today, how I feel today every day when I come to work. There's, you know, this is a a challenging job, especially with something like Creatable World. It's not easy, you know, not everyone may necessarily respond positively to it and that's okay, you know, but that's challenging. And I know that I am connected to my purpose because I I have so much joy in what I'm doing. And that's sort of my my check-in point for myself. So if you are thinking about going on your own purpose journey, here's three pieces of advice. Number one is start with what you have. Don't feel phased if you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars or if you don't have, um, you know, a, a lot of freedom or restriction. You have more than you think to start this journey. You have access to resources um, and, and abilities that you don't even know about. So don't worry about comparing yourself to anybody else out there, but start with what you have. Start with what you have, start with yourself, but find your allies. You know, find even just one other person on your team or your organization that is also looking to do the the same thing that you're looking to do, create the same change or seize the same opportunity that you do. Um, Those allies are critical. 
um, in being able to move beyond what you can do as an individual to what now you can begin to do as part of a collective and continue to find your allies along the way. And understand that, you know, a lot of times you don't necessarily know all the steps uh, or the next 10 steps or the next 20 steps to do, but just be clear about the next one. Because one of the things, the third principle we always say is that clarity follows action. And it's through the process of acting, taking that step by step, daily movement towards the vision and the goal, that things become clearer. And so if you can start where you are with what you have, find your allies along the way, and realize that clarity follows action and continue to act with purpose and intention and stay true to your values, you're well on your way to a purpose-led journey. This episode of Good Is A New Cool, The Field Recordings, was hosted by myself, After Laziz, and Bobby Jones. It featured Kim Calmon, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Design for Barbie and Fashion Dolls at Mattel Inc., and was produced by Natalia Rodriguez. Go to goodisthenewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of The Principles of Purpose. You can also keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Good Is The New Cool. Thank you for listening and join us next week for another episode of The Field Recordings. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't forget to look after each other.